And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. I'm excited to be joined today by Nick Santora from Curricula, which was just acquired by Huntress. And um, we will talk all about that today and his journey of being an entrepreneur. Um, Before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, but Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Well, Nick, excited to learn about your journey and what Curricula did and... um, now what you're doing at Huntress. So it's my understanding that you guys are all, um, both the businesses are related to security. Sounds like security, small small business maybe is, is kind of the focus. Um, security is a hot topic. So lo- love to learn more all about curricula and, and your journey. Yeah, cybersecurity is a hot topic. Um, so I guess the founding story is always a good place to start with these. So I spent about seven years working for the federal regulator for our power grid in North America. It's an agency called NERC. Uh, They basically make sure our lights stay on. When you turn the light on, it actually stays on and and electric continues to run through this country. So I spent a lot of time on cybersecurity dealing with regulations and investigations and audits and anything and everything related to this. Very boring uh, environment (laughs) to to be in. And it's, it's technology that's, you know, some of these devices are don't even have backups or they were made 50 years ago. So yeah. you're talking about shifting a legacy technology of the power grid up to the modern workforce and technology, which is uh, not easier said than done, I guess. So from that, you know, about seven years into it, I got the itch and I, I used to go on audits and I saw this one guy getting interviewed during an audit at electrical utility and, you know, typically part of the audit, the auditor will ask the auditee on, you know, hey, you have to go through an annual training program every year about this NERC SIP compliance stuff. Uh, tell me what you know about it. Just kind of a casual, should be an open-ended thing just to kind of talk and deer in headlights. Like deer in headlights of someone that's been working there for 20 years that uh, didn't really know what they learned from their training because they probably didn't learn anything. And they get asked this question about a specific device that can literally operate the power grid remotely. And they're like, tell us what you know about this. And the guy didn't know what it was, what the term was. He's like, I hear it all the time, but I don't really know what it is. And that just blew my mind because I'm sitting in this room watching this event take place with a bunch of lawyers and like people that are on edge. And here's a regular guy's working there for 20 years and his desktop, the system he works at is the device that can control the power grid, but he didn't really know the terminology yeah. in all of this. Blew my mind on all this, but it also didn't because at the same time, there's a lot of acronyms. It's super complex. A lot of lawyers, really boring stuff. So from there, I kind of I flew home after that and met with Joe, who's our uh, co-founder, CTO. And we were having some beers and we were just talking about like, 
man, I was out on this audit and this guy had no idea what was going on. It's like really sad. And we're like kind of laughing about it. And then for a second, we're like, I don't think we should be laughing. at This This is our electric power grid for the whole country. So yeah, probably should take this a little more serious. So from that moment, we kind of realized like, man, what if we could teach people about cybersecurity in a way that was not just a bunch of death by PowerPoints? And fast forward, there's been a lot of stuff along the way, but that's kind of how we got our, our wheels spinning. So did you end up building effectively what I would call, and maybe this isn't the right terminology for this, like a learning management system that was all about training or was it more, was there more of like a, a SaaS, you know, product and like service real, you know, separate from it, or was it just all about training? It's a little bit of all of it. Uh, at the core, you know, put a lipstick on a pig. It's an LMS, right? It tracks learning, tracks videos, does all this cool stuff. Um, the thing that's special, I, I kind of translate this kind of like what Peloton did, where it was like, ah, it's just a bike. Who cares? Or if it's just video content, who cares? We have enough of that. But when you put them together, there was a different experience that came out of that, um, which it took me seeing it in real life to actually understand it. And with curricula, it was that same thing is that there's a lot of LMSs out there. They're super clunky, clumsy, they're overpriced, you know, list goes on. And then you got security awareness content providers, which is basically uh, companies that are putting together content to teach employees about cybersecurity. Pretty miserable on, on both sides of the fence. So what we wanted to do was create something that was simple for every business to set up and fun for them to actually learn and talk with each other about these complex topics. So uh, we landed on this concept of storytelling where we use uh, this cast of characters in what we call curriculaville and, you know, they wake up, they go to work and stuff, and there's heroes, there's villains. And basically, we have a full animation studio that puts together these episodes where you can watch someone go on an adventure and get hacked. Um, so much so, the software, you know, obviously does LMS-y type things, but there's a component in our software called a phishing simulator, and it allows a company to essentially simulate what a cyber attack could look like towards their employees in the real world. Okay. And it sends a fake phishing attack out. You can customize Dude, all kinds of crazy things. I, so at my last company, at uh, I was the founder CEO of this company called Stackify. And all my employees had told me all the time, they're like, did you send me an email about XYZ thing, right? And then the company I work at now, our, our CEO is the same thing. Like all the employees get all these emails supposedly from the CEO asking them to do this, that, and whatever. I actually got an SMS text message. It was like a couple weeks ago from somebody pretending to be our CEO, asking me if I could go buy gift cards at the Apple store for her. <laughs> yep. It's crazy. Like if this shit happens in the real world all the time and people fall for it. Bad. Um, and I think we're getting somewhat better for those that are taking the initiative, but there's a lot of people that need to take the initiative. And I think what the world needs to realize is that just kind of sitting stale is not going to save you from a bad day. And it's a lot easier to prevent an attack than recover from one, um, just from the insurance, the liability, the customer, the reputation, all the things that go with it have to be calculated in, um, which is why we see just a lot of people that are terrified. They're like, I don't know where to start with cyber. And this so, is a good place to start. So did you end up building a platform that was kind of just very generic, like, you know, HR at any company would kind of use this? Or was it specific to industries like, you know, the electrical power companies and stuff. And they had like a different kind of content they needed for the different kind of equipment they had and, and all that kind of stuff. 
Yep. Yeah. We, we follow the nail and niche model of like just hyper focus on one specific industry and piece of content. Um, that's called the NERC SIP model, which is okay. the utilities. Um, they have a regulation uh, mandating that they perform an annual training and then show evidence for it. So we were one of two people in the world that like created that content. Uh, and I work for the agency that helped teach the auditors and how to audit this stuff. So it was kind of a a shoe in for like us being, Hey, these guys are experts, but what we realized that industry is very small. Like there's only thousand, maybe 2000 companies in the United States, North America, and including Canada. So that's not a way to scale a business with this price point. So we basically said, how do we create content and a, a platform that allows every small business to use us? And that is really where we open up the doors to kind of this general security awareness platform, which allows you to do, all these things that you want to do with your employees, we take care of all the dirty work, click a couple of buttons and people get educated throughout the year throughout our platform. So did you, so you ended up going really deep in that industry and then eventually did the more broad content, but did, but did you also go deeper into some other industries as well? A little bit, um, basically with SaaS companies, there's a thing called SOC2. You yeah. ever heard of that? Um, yeah. Everyone's nightmares about, about that. Nightmares. There's uh, we have a couple partners that do a really good job. Like Drata is one of them, um, just leading the charge on helping small businesses without a security department go through the motions of what it takes to build a starter kit security program. Um, security awareness is a requirement, and one of those things you must do as part of a SOC two. So one of our, you know, we started seeing patterns where a lot of people come in for SOC two only when they're like Series B and above, yeah. or have like hundreds of employees. I started to see the pattern when there was two person companies coming to us saying we need training for our SOC too. Like, what? Why are you doing that? That's crazy to me. And then when you start seeing dozens and dozens and then hundreds of them coming in every month, it's like, crap, we should, uh, we should help with this. So yeah. uh, all of this led to our um, PLG model where we, we gave back a free episode on SOC two and that changed the whole direction. Yeah, for me, I consider SOC 2 and GDPR to be four-letter words that shall not be spoken. <laughs> and then look at what else is coming. There's just going to be more and more of these that everyone's feeling like this. Like, what am I even supposed to do? Who's even going to audit me? Oh, yeah. It's a confusing world to be in. Yeah. So tell me about, you know, when you guys started and what was it like going through like the fundraising and early growth side, side of this? So we were... Uh, atypical to how every other we're in Atlanta uh, at the Atlanta tech village. So we were right down the hall from like Calendly and sales loft and terminus and some of the bigger well-known names out of Atlanta. Um, we did not raise fundraising. So we did five, almost five and a half years bootstrapped, um, got ourselves to almost a million in ARR with four people. And we realized like, man, this is pretty nice. Why don't we uh, see if we can get to the next level here? Now I think we're ready to, not rip our hair out and go get some extra padding so we don't have to watch cash flow every month. And what we really, like I met with 60, 70 plus VCs and did several pitch events. And it was just a lot of confusion out there. And I learned a lot about the VC market, I think that year in 2019 of just like how to approach it, what they're looking for and why. Um, but by the time we got to the tail end, I did a, a show called Venture Atlanta that was here. And we met uh, RCP Equity, which was our, uh, ultimately, we did a deal with them. They're a small family office private equity group. And what we realized that we don't want to dilute and go chase this series 
endless amount of series fundraising. We just wanted to keep the thing going as we wanted it to keep going with a little extra cash. And uh, our moons aligned really well on that because they were a newly formed group. They wanted, uh, they clearly knew who we were and our ideals aligned quite a bit on um, who we're going to service. So we did a deal in, uh, I guess it closed in 2019, but we announced it in January, 2020, our uh, 3 million series A. And that, Definitely gave us a, a good amount of padding leading into the chaos that uh, coronavirus yeah. led into. Good timing there. So I think for everybody who's listening, I, going back to one thing you mentioned, and I don't know if you're exaggerating or, or, or being specific, but you said you talked to like 60 different VCs. Face-to-face meetings with 60 plus. I probably met with literally like a thousand at like events and all this stuff. That, and that's insanity, yeah. right? That's insanity. Like That's a full-time job for probably more than a full-time job, right? Just to keep track of all of that and all the communication, the scheduling, the meetings, the documents they want to see, the stuff, you know, all the the due diligence you have to put together, like all of that. Like it's it's a huge amount of effort. Probably like 40% of my year was in 2019 was spent on this, which seems like such a waste, but Hey, lifelong lesson. I learned how to navigate the system. And I, I, I don't going to say I'm the best fundraiser in the world. Absolutely not. But I understand how the dynamics play between uh, capital and capitalists. So how, how important was it, do you feel like, that you guys had, at that point, a lot of traction? You know, you, would you feel like, you know, we had product market fit, we're ready to scale the business? Like, you had, you had all the things that most investors are looking for, right? Yeah, we were um, definitely going slower than most, you know, if, if you're a well-funded startup, it's either grow or bust at that point. So for us, we're like, nah, like steady wins the race on this one. We stayed in the shadows. Um, also important to mention at this same time from 2015 is when we started Curricula to recently this past year, um, we had a super large competitor that raised almost $500 million in VC funding along the way. So uh, half a billion in cybersecurity funding is a lot for any cybersecurity company, yet alone the direct competitor and somewhat only competitor to the David versus Goliath story here. And who was that so, company? Uh, it's called No Before. Okay, never heard, never heard of them. So, yeah, just, so was that the was that one of the challenges you had with the VCs? Is that you weren't growing fast enough, and they saw that your competition was, you know, much bigger and and didn't feel like you had a fighting chance. Yeah, I think it was like that first wave of like uh, greenfield opportunities where it was just like they raised a ton of money, discounted every deal like 90% off. So we just literally couldn't compete with them head to head because we didn't have a padded bank account to discount that heavily. Um, So we just kind of stuck to our guns and we're like, there's people out there. They're early adopters. They will go out of their way to choose this versus the big clumsy competitor. um, But that won't last long. So what we try to do is kind of like stay in the shadows, build up our little like supporter group. And then um, when we were ready to strike, we were, you know, ready to strike. And that's where our whole uh, product led growth initiative took off in 2021. So I feel like a lot of people these days are quick to try and raise money before they have really a product. They really have, you know, figured out a lot of the things that figured out, you know, what advice do you have for people that, are trying to decide when they should raise capital. Like, should they do an early seed round, an early Series A round, or bootstrap it for an extended period of time and somehow get the product off the ground? 
depends on what you want out of it. And I think that's the more important thing is like uh, round two of doing this. I'll have more of an exit plan in sight of like, why are you building this for who? And build towards that direction somewhat. It's not like you're going to get it perfect, but if you know you're going to get acquired by someone or sell the company one day, um, you can build in stuff into your plan to kind of support that. And I think we kind of always knew that um, early on. So we had great documentation, slow process, but spent a ton of time on product and marketing, not a ton of time on sales. So we had like one, two sales reps the whole time and we only hired two sales reps uh, like two years ago. <laughs> it was just us just kind of winging it. Um, but what I would say my advice on that is starting the the business and knowing that there was something tangible in front of us of like what to build for, it would change my perception of do we raise or not. And what I realized like, and I think most people know that is like, it's better to raise incredible amounts of money with no traction and just a crazy idea, but you gotta have a track record to do that, to be trusted. Um, it also puts a, I wouldn't say a gun to your head, but it's kind of a gun to your head, right? Like you need to perform. You don't need to worry about cash per se. You need to worry about execution and growth. So if those things are up your alley, you kind of make your adjustments and say, I want to go on a fundraising path to do a, you know, whatever, C, pre-seed, A, B, keep going. Um, but just know what that entails. It's not, uh, it's not easy. And you're going to have probably more stress from that angle than we had, which was you don't need to hit growth and metric numbers, but you do need to survive. So I, I, I take that card any day because uh, that's kind of just sensible growth versus growth at all costs in my eyes. So when you were starting out with this and decided to go down that path of not raising money right away, did you guys invest some of your own capital to kind of get it started? Or like, how did you balance the, like, I need a job and I need income versus I want to start my own business, but I, we don't have any revenue. Like that's a struggle a lot of people have, right? Like how do you, how do you make that jump into doing, you know, what you want to do full time until, you know, it produces some revenue that you could, you know, leave your, your, your previous job? Like how, how did you deal with that part of it? Um, my circumstance uh, demanded me to leave the job. So it's, it's almost like working at the IRS and then trying to do someone's taxes for them, <laughs> like a super conflict of interest. So, um, I kind of just knew that was the thing. So I wasn't able or wanted to work on anything while at the agency. But as soon as we left, we spun up a website like that weekend. We announced it like that, that next week in March uh, of 2015. Um, but yeah, I think like knowing that the, uh, oh, so what was the question again? Sorry. If well, it's like, so, so you do that, but you know, you know, how, how did you deal with the like, Hey, okay, we started a new company but now we don't make any money. Like how, how do you personally like make that jump and, you know, financially do that? Or, or were you guys able to have some savings and stuff like that you were able to invest and kind of make this work? Or like, how did you bridge that gap until you were able to make some revenue? Yes. So um, rewind to like 2013, I think it was. Um, we actually ran a couple other small business SaaS type things in the online ad agencies. We did um, uh, WooCommerce iPhone app and a whole bunch of, cool little projects that cumulatively were, you know, doing like 20 K MRR, something like that. And, you know, it was like, Oh, this is nice. This is a way that we can learn from our mistakes, uh, show what growth could look like on a project that we don't really care too much about. And I think that gave me enough practice to be like, all right, I'm ready for the big one. Um, so once the big one curricula came into sites, it was all or nothing like burn the boats. 
you know, you go to this island and you want to be successful, you can't have a backup plan. Because if you do, then you're always kind of leaning into that backup plan as like your primary offering. And um, so I dumped 60,000 into the company. I think uh, Juan put 50, one of the other co-founders, 50,000. So it was about 110 that we started with out of our pockets, uh, 401k account basically, and paid huge penalties to, to get access to that money, but super worth it. And then um, along the way, there was lots of ups and downs, obviously to keep the boat afloat. And I sold a condo in Atlanta a couple years later and then put that back into the company to keep things going. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was no big fundraising until we got to our Series A in 2019. Yeah, my, I had to, uh, when, I, when I started my very first company, I was working full-time at my other job still and actually managed to let, let I went in at like six in the morning and worked till like noon. And then I went home and worked, you know, all day and all night the rest of the day on my my startup. And and it's it took like a year or two before I could actually make enough money from our startup that I was able to quit my job. And it's just it's always a hard, hard thing for people to do, especially if they don't raise, you know, capital, right? And it's also hard to go to investors and be like, uh, we need to raise a bunch of money so you basically can pay me. Right. <laughs> that never looks really good to the investors either. <laughs> no. And I, I, it is hard because you're working full time and then you're trying to do it again full time on building the yeah. future and it's exhausting. So I, uh, I guess I'm fortunate where I didn't uh, have to do that because I, we never would have been able to launch anything if I was even allowed yeah. to do that. But it did, it did put some pressure on us and kick us in the ass of like, we launched it in March. There's a deadline by April of the following year for this to be done and every utility having it. So what do we do in between? So we were like building shit and like yeah. trying to make content and the software was brand new. Like we barely had anything. And our first sale was in, I think November and we sold, um, there's a company up in Canada and they were like, yeah, I love it. We're like, we'll, we'll, uh, we like what your direction you're going on this. We need it because it's a requirement. Um, and they're like, we'll take two years worth of it. And I'm like, Oh really? Two years. Like to this day, that is the only customer ever that has paid for two years upfront. Nice. We really needed it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you get those, uh, you know, you, you get those when you need them. It's just crazy how that works out. We need so it. I want to take a second to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullskill.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably, use the full skill platform to define your technical needs, and then see what um, developers testers and leaders are available to join your team visit fullskill.io to learn more so you you guys raised your series a you're, you're growing and then ultimately you sold the company uh just recently a couple months ago to huntress so congratulations mm -hmm. on that so you started curricula um you know several years ago um you know a couple years ago you, you raised the series a but you sold the company a couple months ago to huntress so big congratulations to that um, so I'm curious, you know, what, what led to the sell and, you know, was it sounds like like 12, 18 months after you did the series, A, started exploring, you know, selling it or had some inbound interest or, you know, talk to me about how, how that went. So we spent, uh, all of our time selling directly to customers, just B2B. And when we raised our fundraising, um, the, uh, the head Joel Smith, who's the head guy at RCP equity, uh, sold his business. Uh, App River to Zix Corporation for like 280 something million. And, you know, for, for us, one of the things that they were excited about was that 
all of their business was sold through a channel system, like channel mm-hmm. partners. Yep. And they realized like, if you want to scale this, you would have to either hire a massive sales team and raise a ton of money, or you can use channel partners to do it and you give them margin. So we're like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So we spent um, kind of that first year just like building the MVP around what our channel position would look like and all these things. We launched it, had some rough hires here and there. And then um, ultimately we kind of like sunsetted it for a little bit. We're like, we're doing so well on the direct side. We just don't, we can't spread ourselves so thin to do the channel too. Um, I would love to, but we just don't have enough cash or resources to, to do it. So fast forward to summer of 2021 last year. And we saw that like the patterns were there. Growth was there. Signups were there. Just with two salespeople, you're just not going to, do great. And with this price point, it's circus peanut pricing. Like it's so cheap. The stuff. What was the price? Uh, it's like $2 an employee per month with the whole platform with everything going on. So it's really cheap. When you look at some other LMSs, they're like $25 an employee per month. Some of them, uh, going down to like six to $8 per month on the reasonable end. And here we are with a full-blown LMS, security awareness content, phishing simulator, all these cool features, and you could build your own custom content inside of our platform. Um, So we were just kind of at a loss, like, man, I I don't understand. So a lot of it was how do we get more pipeline in the door and more automation? So we sat down, actually, uh, our investor, we had lunch and I was talking to him like, uh, I think it's time to do the PLG strategy. I think this is the right moment to create a like a self-service signup model that is full speed on their own. And uh, so we spent like two months hard working on rewinding features to say, how do we give this stuff away for free without giving away the farm? And that's not easy. It's actually a lot easier probably to go the other way, but we did it. We launched it on November, I think it was like 11th or somewhere around there. And uh, ever since then, we would do somewhere like 100 inbound leads a month, something like that. Um, now we're doing anywhere between like six to 800, sometimes higher inbounds a month from the PLG engine that's running. Um, so it sets the top of the funnel up pretty good. A lot of automations coming in to kind of get people through the app. Yeah. And uh, we only have one sales rep working on, on that right now. So uh, clearly that caught the attention of a lot of people when you started seeing us pop up everywhere in from November into the winter, um, into the, the 2022. And uh, we were approached by, I'd say, a solid six different strategics to acquire us. Um, plus, we had you know VCs that we were like just talking with, and growth equity people we were talking with. And ultimately, um, we think the strategic made a lot more sense given the position we were in, and uh, and where we wanted to go. But it was also like picking the right strategic. There was a couple meetings where I went into where I was just like, gave me anxiety. It's like I can't work here. Like this will. <laughs> this would be miserable, like putting myself here, yet alone the other employees. And then we had some, uh, one meeting that I met with the CEO. We just, now that we didn't get along, we just had totally different uh, directions on who we wanted to serve. And then um, with Huntress, they were, they saw us at a show, I think, in November, December. And then they became a customer of ours in December. So I just like got introduced from one of their investors. I uh, jumped on a call with, Chris Biznet, who's the CTO at Huntress and just shot the shit about startup things and partnership concepts and different things here. Um, January comes and then Kyle, who's the CEO, gets on with Chris and they're just like, hey guys, we like we like what you do. Um, we think you stand out and we think you're punching above your weight class. We want to buy you. 
just like straight up I'm like Whoa. wow get in line because i was like there's other people too and and it was a, it was an exciting time but also like a distracting time because oh, yeah. we are so small we're like we cannot spend all these hours trying to please a strategic um so we put everyone in kind of like a container we said you've got to get us your info by this time we had a couple conversations going throughout that time and it, it's really where the heart landed like right away i knew that it was like talking to me in a mirror to kyle and chris it was like the Nick and Joe talking to Kyle and Chris and just two alternate universes. Um, and the important part I think was that not only seeing all those characteristics line up, but we had a, a deep focus on serving uh, what they call the 99% poverty line of small businesses where most small businesses, 99% of them are uh, under resource, understaffed, underfinanced, and have to deal with all this cybersecurity stuff. So how do you help them? Um, so our free model obviously helped a lot with that, but when we saw the alignment, they sell exclusively through channel partners. Okay. So it's like, ah, this is like finally the missing puzzle piece that we try to do. And yeah. now we're able to merge those two and they have a huge reputation of channel partners, uh, across the world. And, uh, so it's exciting, you know, that what, what we're going to see in the next stage here. So how long did it take you to go through the acquisition process? Like from, like, like you just, you decided that they were going to be the buyer till closing. How long was that process? Um, we spent the whole beginning of the year talking to people. So, you know, I'd say it was from December, November, basically actually till where we started entertaining the concept and then till July. So that's a lot, that's seven, eight, eight, nine months. But from the time we got an LOI to money in the accounts it was like less it was like 45 days or something well that's like pretty that. that's pretty fast yeah that's not bad once we got there and we knew what we needed to do it was very fast and and honestly i mean just dealing with lawyers is like oh, someone's got to build yeah. some cool startup that can help people sell and buy companies <laughs> so i i uh my last company i sold recently and it, it took us like six months to go through that the the actual closing process right like all the diligence and it kind of happened over the christmas holidays which slowed it all down and of course i we sold the company my, we sold my company like during the pandemic i never met the acquirer or any of their investors or anybody in person sold the whole company yeah. never met a single person in person which was the craziest thing i'd ever seen in my life but same here 45 days sounds like a cakewalk compared to what i had to go through no, we actually, uh, my, my mistake, we actually did meet with them. They flew into Atlanta um, and we met with them. So other than that, that was it. We met for one day, had dinner, just, we kind of felt it. It was like, yep, this makes sense. And uh, realistically too, there's just not a lot of good inventory on the market. It, like we're probably one of the few companies at security awareness that's not a hundred million dollars plus to invest in or acquire at this point. Sure. So it's like, yep. well. This is a company that's growing. We had, I think by the time we sold, it was like uh, 8,000 freemium customers and like 12 to 1,500 on the paid side. Um, so yeah, we definitely have the engine spinning, but it, it needs salespeople if you want to yeah. grow the sales numbers, which we didn't have. So a couple months after the acquisition, how have things went? I mean, are they, are they um, starting to ramp up getting you sold through the, the channel partners and, and all that kind of stuff? Or is it still kind of in a wait and see mode? It's a, uh, it hasn't been as easy as you could probably think. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> most of it, cause like you're doing a deal is just like, I wouldn't call it hostility, but it's like, everyone's on guard the whole time. Yeah, no oh, one yeah. wants to give weird stuff on both sides. So like you get to the finish line, everyone's exhausted. It's like, all right, now we can start thinking about how to work yeah. with each other. And that sucks, but it, that's, that's reality. So 
now we spent the first couple months here just kind of like learning about each other, the businesses, who they sell to, who we don't sell to, um, vice versa. And then uh, probably should have done a little better job of just like indicating that to people signing up. But we got a ton of people signing up, channel partners that just like, sorry, we can't service you right now. So, which is nice because it's kind of like a, a big line of people get waiting for this initiative. And, and the way we broke it down is, is kind of like phase one, which is basically helping channel partners come into the Huntress and or curricula platform, use it, consume it, get billed for it, automate it. And it just works. It's like, so you have a bunch of stuff you have to build before that is all going to work or what, what, you know, you mentioned you got that line. So what's, what's preventing you from servicing all of them? Uh, pricing changes, like like different techniques that we're doing in the software. So uh, we're actually going to be moving all of our billing into their billing system. So that's, oh, that's like a nightmare all of its own. Very tough, very tough stuff to do yeah. as the first thing to do, but it's, it's almost like ripping the bandaid off on this one. It's like, if you set this up right, you can go bananas and scale this because you're using your existing billing system. Right. Our system, great for direct customers. It wasn't perfect for channel partners. So um, I think we're going to see a nice pump after we launch this uh, first phase. I mean, that's what sounds great, right? Like you mentioned, like going through the process of the acquisition, like you, it really puts each other at odds, right? Because you end up fighting about this, that or whatever. And some, there's always an 11th hour disagreement and they always want to pay you less than you wanted for some stupid reason or whatever. There's always some shit that comes up, right? And it's yeah. like you get you get past the finish line, but you've kind of created a hostile relationship in the process of it, right? And then and then now it's like you're you're trying to make the marriage work, but it never sounds quite as rosy as it did that first day that you met. <laughs> it's hard. I, th I think like if, if our product was like very minimally used or not used by a lot of people and it was like where we are today, I think it'd be pretty easy, but we're used by thousands of businesses across the world. There's like so much stuff in motion. There's a ton yeah. of stuff and it's like, you can't just like turn that off. Like there's, tons of people to service currently. So I do see it as a challenge of like trying to, you know, I think we have a good relationship with everyone, but it's more of like, Dan, how do you get this thing going? How do you feel like we're all part of the same yeah. team? And I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen uh, overnight, but hopefully at some point it becomes more merged. Well, and the, the challenge you have, right. is like, Hey, they acquired you and all this sounds great, but it's like, Hey, now it's time to actually do it. Right. And then you'll have all these other managers at Huntress are like, well, we have all these other initiatives we're supposed to do. I don't have time for that shit. Like, okay, yeah, you yep. acquired it. Don't care. I have all these other goals. I have my own bonus structure and all these things. I have to sell this, do this, whatever. I, no, maybe in 2023, we'll talk about that, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, you get into the reality of, right, of how corporate works together. And then you hit, you hit one of the biggest ones, the hardest, like, okay, well, how do we integrate our billing system? How do we actually sell this thing? How do we actually fulfill it? Like, you know, when you, when you go into all that, it all sounds easy. Like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll sell your shit and we'll make all this money. And this is great. And then now you're in the reality of it, like how the sausage is actually made. And you're like, well, it's not that easy. Like how do we actually collect money? <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think it's just a learning curve for us because we're, you know, we're, we were, by the time we sold, well, we were 14 or something like that, somewhere in the 13 to 15 range. Um, but we're used to just like quick, right? It's a speedboat. Yeah. It's like make a yes. decision. I, we know the market, do this and we're done. And then we can go work on it. Yeah. Um, now it's, you know, obviously a little more decision makers, more, more questions oh, yeah. to bring up. And, and it's a learning process too. I think like everyone's trying to just learn as we do. Um, I almost, sometimes I just want to like do and then learn later, but uh, it's all part of the process. 
So how many employees work at Huntress? It's over 200 now. Yeah, we busted it over 200. Um, so yeah, they're growing like crazy. And what they do, if I, I haven't mentioned it yet, they um, endpoint detection response. So it's basically a little piece of software that sits on the computer itself. Okay. And uh, it's an agent. And then remotely, the uh, Huntress app can like talk and listen to the agent. And when a partner uh, has a business or many businesses under them that are all running the agent, uh, it scans for weird shit all the time. And I, you know, obviously, I'm probably butchering the technical yeah, sure. implementation. But ultimately, it says, hey, I see ransomware on this computer. What do you want to do with it? And this is, we're talking about stuff that gets past antivirus sometimes, like, like stuff that's deep, crazy, uh, weird things. And um, they go and hunt it down and kill it. And it, I think that's such a cool, it's a cool thing for a small business that like literally wouldn't even know where to look for this stuff. And they're getting taken care of remotely by this crazy software. So very cool detective control. And we're more on the preventative side with education. So is their software also scan email and stuff like that too? Uh, no, just the device itself. It's more device-based. Yep. So yep. if there was an attachment or something that got executed via email, then it'll probably find it. But uh, I'm not too keen on how all that, that works on the Hunter's core platform right now. Well, so what do you, what do you see as next? What's, what's next for curricula and, and you? What, what's next? So all the founders stayed, the whole curricula team stayed. And really for me, it's, it's, knowing when curricula can be let go. And I think right now, like my meter is probably five, 10% without the founders kind of behind the wheel helping with some stuff. But the goal would be get that to 80, 90% in the next couple of years here. And, uh, and then we would feel comfortable knowing that curricula is in a good home. It's got the right routines. It's got the right resources behind it. And it's maintained somewhat of its image along the way. I would be happy as a hippo. Well, it's always hard when um, you sell your company. Like people would always ask me, like, how does it feel to sell your baby? And, mm -hmm. you know, I'd ha you've had this company for a few years and, and I had mine. It had been like nine years now. And, and I always tell people, it's like, it doesn't feel like a baby anymore. <laughs> right. Feel, feels like they, you know, grew up, they went to college, they dropped out. Like, you know, now they work at Starbucks and like, it's not really my baby anymore. And like, I'm okay. <laughs> right. Got it. But it's, it's always hard. Perfect. It's your baby, yep. you know? And I, I started looking at it as like cars because I had a, a bunch of cars growing up. It's like, yeah, you love them when you get it. You're excited. You got all this yeah. stuff. You work on it all the time. You're doing it. Then at some point you're like, all right, I'm ready to let this thing go. You know, it's like this car isn't what it used to be to me. Um, and I think like that's when all the founders realized this in when we were approaching these uh, people reaching out to us saying like, damn, do we get this thing? this sick where it's like that attractive to people. And it's like, yeah, we did. Uh, but the thing that killed us was our sales numbers weren't huge. And I think if we did go raise VC and hire a massive sales team, we probably would be having a totally different conversation or not uh, today. But hey, that's what uh, now we got fuel behind our big brother Huntress that has the sales resources yeah. and the funding and the and Let's the go. So yeah, it's really exciting to be able to focus on what we're good at and let uh, everyone else kind of do their sales and growth stuff with our sounds like number. a sounds like a really great fit and uh you know excited to uh to see how that works out for you um if you do need to hire software engineers testers or leaders full scale can help we have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts when you visit fullscale.io 
All you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At FullScale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. So uh, big congratulations again on on everything and and being acquired. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it all works out. And, um, you know, I... I honestly couldn't survive after the company that acquired us. Like I, I couldn't work for them. <laughs> I, I had to get out of there. So I, I hope for you, it, it all works out. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always tough as, you know, going from being the founder and being in control and all of that to all of a sudden now, like you work for the corporate overlord and, you know, trying to navigate through all that. So, uh, I, I hope all that works out for you. <laughs> it, and that was, I think why it was so important to pick the right, strategic i think like yeah. yeah i had a couple of those meetings where i was like i would be so miserable and yeah. it was just like you know it in your heart so why why pursue it there's tons of other opportunities if they write a big enough check you know yeah you, you take the money and you run at some point but yeah hopefully you know long term if you want to stay with the company yeah you want to find the right fit yeah yeah we we really i think like the mission and ideals and everything along the way it just it matched up really well for what we talk like and act like and, and kind of our community, they have a really strong like Reddit community and just like people who just really enjoy them being themselves. And that's something that um, I guess shouldn't be taken for granted today. There's just too much like masking during marketing and like all these weird cover-ups and stuff. It's like, just be yourself as the business and yeah. you'll stand out. <laughs> if not, you're going to be everything to everyone and corporate yourself up so much that you're like diluting your core mission and business itself. Yep. Well, once again, this was Nick Santora today with Curricula, who is now working at Huntress, the general, one of the general managers there at, at Huntress. And um, thank you so much for being on the show today. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Take care. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.